to the Savvy Spending Podcast, where we talk about tips and tricks for building healthier financial habits. I'm your host, Tiara Jackson, and on today's episode, we'll pick up where we left off with Home Buying 101. During part two, we'll discuss buyer expectations, preparing to purchase, loans, and more. So if you didn't have a chance to check out part one, make sure you check that out first. If you did, then stay right here and enjoy the show. When you go into the home buying process, this is what this podcast is about right now. Feel empowered. Then you don't feel like you're in at anybody's mercy. I have a feel question empowered. really quick. And maybe you're going to get to that, so I don't want to cut it off. Because what I heard you saying, like, you're going from the first time mindset, right? Like, you're saying it from a, this how you should be feeling, this is what should be going on. But let's take it back, because we're talking about people who don't know what they should be feeling. So mm-hmm. I think a great place to maybe even like ground that how, conversation how is what are the, somebody well, hold on, hold on, hold on. 200,000 to buy a listen, house. Listen, no, listen. What cute. are the expectations as a buyer that's approaching a real estate agent for a transaction? What are realistic expectations? Realistic expectations when they, when you, when they first meet you, mm-hmm. they're going to put on their best face. Right. And she did. So you put on they're gonna put on their best face. Mm-hmm. And this is just any business, just even us talk. Not just about the real estate. Mm-hmm. Because they're they want to talk, they want to steer the they want to steer the conversation about real estate. So in that initial conversation, you get that relation built up yeah. and you let them speak about how they conduct their business and mm-hmm. what they're offering and what they do, how they do it, how they're going to find you a home. Mm-hmm. But that feeling that you feel when you first initially meet them, you're going there, not just like you're going to buy a house today. Yeah. You're just coming to meet them. Well, I guess my question is more so like, let's remove the individual out of it. What can a buyer expect? What should you expect? Should they be showing you um, five houses a week? Should they be sending you homes? Um, should they be like, what, what Okay, so should you expect? So you, so initially, depending on how that agent meets you. Mm-hmm. So if you meet online first for safety reasons, they probably want to meet you in person mm-hmm. first. And they may ask you, cause if they don't know you, they don't know if you're serious. We get a lot of leads of people just playing around. They right. say they want to buy a house and they don't want to buy a house. Mm-hmm. People don't want to waste their time. So that initial meeting, um, you're thinking that first week when you start talking to somebody, like say you met them online, you saw her on Facebook, you like the home, homes that she's posting and you're interested. You haven't spoke to a bank yet. You don't know what you qualify for. Right. So this is their initial meeting. That first day when you meet them, mm-hmm. if this agent does not do this, walk away. Okay. This is the number one thing. There's mandatory disclosures that we must give to you on that first day. Okay. Those mandatory disclosures, it's not a contract to work with that realtor, but it's mandatory that we give them to you on first initial contact. It's not optional. That's what and what are those disclosures? Those disclosures are working with real estate agents. It explains to you our duties as an agent. Okay. Because if we meet you on Tuesday mm-hmm. and that Tuesday, you don't sign agency agreement, but we're going to talk. You're mm-hmm. going to tell me some details about yourself, but tomorrow you might find another realtor and that's Wednesday and Friday, you put an offer on the house. I own that home mm-hmm. or I'm, I'm listing that home. Mm-hmm. I already know personal things about you now, but you're not my client. So mm-hmm. before you even talk about anything personal about a property with someone, mm-hmm. a realtor, they need to give you those disclosures. So you know what our duties are to you. Before 
or you sign agency agreement, I don't represent you. Mm. So right now to every other house out there that's either listed with my firm or whatever, my duty is to those sellers. I also want to put one disclosure out here, though, for folks that may be listening that are in different states. This is based on North Carolina, because I can say my first home purchase was in Maryland. And I could be wrong. I need to go check my email. I don't think I ever signed the agency agreement. But states, there are differences. So just for the context so of this I'm not conversation. That first, the first disclosure is not agency agreement. Mm -hmm. That first disclosure is working with agency. It's a disclosure form. It's not yeah, a yeah. I just mean in general. Okay. Okay. I got a big packet. It wasn't a form. Okay. Before, right? so, <laughs> so, it's like so what you're saying is just totally different than what I experienced. So that first packet is just disclosures on explaining what it's like working with the realtor, what their duties are. Mm -hmm. The agency agreement is totally separate. Mm -hmm. Now the agency agreement for the state of North Carolina mm -hmm. is absolutely mandatory to mm -hmm. put in an offer to purchase on a home. If I and what is an agency agreement? So agency agreement is basic, it's exclusive agency or in those terms you have designated agency, dual agency, mm -hmm. and then you have your exclusive agent. So your exclusive agent means I only work for you. I won't work for anybody else. Okay. Okay. And your designated agent would be like if a home is listed with my firm with another agent, mm -hmm. but they work at my same firm, mm -hmm. I would be your designated agent. So I'm only loyal to you, but mm -hmm. I have to disclose to you that my firm is going to get dual compensation from both sides, okay. from that agent and me. That was like this situation. Yes. So mm -hmm. it's just like a, it's just a formal way of letting you know this is who's all getting paid Okay. because the standard is to let the buyer know this is your money that you're spending. You want to know everyone, how much is the attorney getting? How much is the lender getting? How much is the firm getting? Mm -hmm. How much are the realtors getting? At closing, you will get a closing disclosure that has a whole breakdown of what all the money that you're paying mm -hmm. goes to. Um, the other agency is dual agency. Dual agency would mean that I represent the seller and you came to me unrepresentative, unrepresentative, and I represent you as well. So okay. dual agency, I cannot be completely loyal to anyone. I am just there. And to kind of facilitate the to transaction. Facilitate, facilitate the transaction. Now there is no way to tell what is gonna initially happen in your transaction. Most people go for designated agency um, because if you work for a big firm, you might run into the home that you're potentially interested be listed with that same firm. It happens, not always, but it could happen. So mm -hmm. initially you might do that. However, that agency agreement is also different for every realtor. Some people may put six months, some people may put a year. And that's when you sign that, you are signing over that you're willing to work with them for that amount of time. Question. Uh, is that able to be negotiated? And if you say that you're able to work with them for that amount of time, what does that mean? On your agency form, mm -hmm. there's going to be a spot on there. I could pull one up right now, mm -hmm. but there's going to be a spot on there that says if you're going to buy one house and it has like that, uh, that date on there, mm -hmm. when it would be up that you're like, if you're buying one property, because sometimes I might represent somebody and they're buying multiple houses in six months. Mm -hmm. So I could put before when you buy that one house, then our agency agreement may end okay. then, or you might be buying multiple houses all year. So if I'm working with an investor client and they're buying four houses this year and I put six months on that, you know, a month or two months on that agreement because they're closing deals in 
21 days, then mm -hmm. I'm going to have to resend this form over and right, over right. and over and over. So, hey, let's go ahead and put a year. And that's what it is. Is it negotiable? That's up to every agent. Okay. Um, and then I typically do. Um, so if somebody tells me, hey, I want to buy a home by April, mm -hmm. then I will do maybe a month or two after that because sometimes, sometimes closing delays mm -hmm. and that way just we don't have to refill out those forms and it doesn't get like lost or misconception this is also very important for our compensation we have to turn into these documents and this is how we get paid mm -hmm. so it's not just like oh i'm just trying to get you under contract just to get you under contract i cannot legally submit an offer for you if not or i don't get paid and we're not in the business to not get paid right uh, like it's still a business and I understand it may feel weird. So yes and no, you can negotiate those terms. It's based off of each person. So you could also do a non-exclusive agreement mm -hmm. where you can say, Hey, I'm willing to work with you. If you find me a house, but if I find a house, if, well, no, if another realtor finds me a house mm -hmm. and this would, this is what it would be. So non-exclusive, but Hey, you find the house because some agency agreements may look like, Hey, as long as you're under contract with me, no matter who finds the house for you, I'm the one that gets compensated. So mm -hmm. how should you go about getting the non-exclusive? That's. And then you just simply say, because in my experience with getting the pre-approval, and I think like it lasts in 30 or 90 days, however many months or days it lasts. And knowing I think I, my contract was like a six months or a year and knowing that. I was I felt legally bound to her for that period of time, but knowing that my pre-approvals were going to be up, I really did not know what to do. And so, so let me ask you a question mm -hmm. outside of that. So I understand that that's very respectful and that's a very great question. If you want a non-exclusive agreement, right? Mm -hmm. It's still reciprocated. You're non-exclusive. She, you're her non-exclusive client. Right, mm. but she has five other exclusive clients. Mm. Who are you going to pay more attention to? Because so we don't a... know what you're doing outside of that. So she, you might be. I haven't spoke to her in three days. Maybe somebody else is showing the house, but now she calls me. It gets complicated. That's because... also a great point. But as a newbie, of course, you're not going to say you can be non-exclusive. So this is the first time I've ever heard about hearing right. about that. So when you say that, that is a great point. But like that's also something to consider so if you know that now listen to yes. this podcast that's an option yes that's something to be mindful of but as someone who never even knew that until meeting you because it's, it also is so it's it also applies to people buying homes in a, a broad area so if you're buying in the state of north carolina mm -hmm. this is also the option you live in raleigh mm -hmm. and i might not service um wake forest area mm -hmm. so you could have another agent that represents you there it's nothing to me because I don't service that area. However, it's something that you just should tell your agent up up front, like, hey, I'm looking in this broad area. I might buy a house in Wilmington. I don't service Wilmington. No issue. But every realtor is different. Some of them may ask for a referral fee from the other realtor because they've, they've shown you 15, 20 houses. And then you go buy a house with somebody else. Yeah, it's It hurts. That that definitely hurts. But it's, it's business. You have to do what's in your best interest. But nobody works for free. Just like you don't go to work to work for free so you can buy your home. They don't go to work for free just so, I mean, to, have, to leave empty handed. But in best interest of the client, you talk about these things up front and be clear about it. Don't hide it. Because if you hide it, then sometimes they're human. They get jaded and they don't want to release you. I don't think there's many agents that are not going to release you when you request to be released. 
um, some may ask what's going wrong or whatever, I would highly encourage at least giving them at least one opportunity to fix what's wrong. If it's really bad, no, just dip. Like, if, you can, <laughs> if it's really bad, like, if, if they violate, man, just dip. Like, that's it. So I think for our listeners, um, I know that there's some topics that a lot of folks may not have heard of. I think hearing about the agency agreement, like what are what I've heard is that communication is key up front. Look at the relationship as a as just that a relationship when you're going in and you should be interviewing your realtors essentially and having some key questions and some uh, key indicators to identify if that's a good working relationship or not. And when you get into these areas, don't be afraid to ask questions. When you're talking about the the agreement, when you're talking about the um, percentage they're receiving or whatnot, make sure that you're asking questions. Number one, before you sign, right? So that everybody feels comfortable. And also as you're going throughout the process. Yes, absolutely. So definitely the asking the questions is very important. And sometimes you don't know what questions to ask as right. a first time home buyer. I can't answer the questions that you don't ask. Mm-hmm. So just for me, I talk a lot. Yeah. <laughs> just so, you know, I try to be transparent with someone and I try to answer the questions that I may have had previously or other clients may have asked me just so I'm transparent and forthcoming with some information because I understand it may be overwhelming or scary and you're not sure. It's, you're also meeting a new person. So, mm-hmm. you know, and telling them all of your business that you don't tell people that you don't <laughs> know for you. Exactly. Like, you, exactly. Like, oh, like, you have no idea some of the stories that I hear from people and they're so nervous. The thing that made them so nervous to purchase the house, it don't even matter. Cause it's not like if, if the bank says no, that no is not like a, excuse my language. It's not like a hell no. Right? It's, like a, it's, it's not a hell no. Yeah. It's actually, well, I need you to make this adjustment and then uh, I come into you. These are our terms. Yeah. And every bank has different terms. So it's not like a no, never. You're never going to buy. No. It's like, oh, well, you have this debt. We need you to pay down this debt and then we can lend to you. Right. Um, and don't be offended. It's a bank. Yeah. They're going to lend you hundreds of thousands of dollars. They need to be a little pig. They, they, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So don't feel insulted or don't feel inclined to feel like, oh, like I'm at their mercy. If you need to work on your credit and you already know that, don't set yourself up for failure. Yeah. Work on your credit first. Yeah. Because then you're you're failing yourself with your expectations because you knew you need to work on your credit. And now you're upset because you went to go speak to a lender and they said you need to work on your credit. You knew that that yesterday. But yeah, (laughs) you knew that. I think this has been, I know it's been really insightful for me. Um, before we kind of close out, I want to, I want to ask you, Kunetta, if not to put you on the spot, but what are the top three questions that, um, you would have, or that you do have as a first time home buyer that you think folks in the audience might, you know, have that we can ask Quinn while she's here. And then I'm going to ask you, Quinn, um, what are the top three to five things that, first-time home buyers need to focus on or get in order um, ahead of pursuing the home buying experience. So I'll start with you, Quinetta. So I think what's important for first-time home buyers is you don't just wake up today and decide I'm going to buy a house. If you know you want to buy a house, how far in advance as a realtor would you say to start preparing your credit, your down payments, and even just any other ducks that you might need to get in a row? I would say stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Mm. When you are ready, like if you manage your, we're adults. 
um, and everybody has the same opportunity. I know maybe some people feel like it's impossible because they have not seen it before. It is very much possible for everybody. So getting yourself ready, that's only on you. It's not on anybody else. So I say, if you want to purchase a home, you can fix your own credit. You don't have to pay someone, mm-hmm. but manage it in the meantime. And then when you get to that, that, that point where you're like, you know what? I'm ready to purchase a home. Don't wait till your lease is almost up. Definitely don't. Don't mm-hmm. wait till your lease is up. Don't say, oh, I'm not paying my rent this month because I'm going to save to buy a house. Keep paying all your bills. Pay down your debts, whatever you can. Save. Save, 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 save. And the most important thing is that very first time that you think about it, it crosses your mind. Start asking questions. Mm-hmm. Because it might have been something that you could have asked six months ago and you could have took care of, but you didn't. And so with you saying stay ready to get ready, that's great in a perfect world. But like if you are that, thinking about it, like what's too late? I would say to be comfortable so you don't feel desperate and pressed. I say six months. Thank you. I think that Thank that's you for great. giving it a hard day. Yeah. Because it's easy to say something when you know what to expect, but when you don't know where to start. You can often feel like you said we are adults, but it's like a number can help someone to understand, okay, like this is how long I should be thinking and preparing for winter. Six months. So six months because, so in six months, a lot can change. You can make a lot of adjustments. So if there's something that you do, but in that six months, you need to reach out to that realtor six months before, because you need to speak with a lender beforehand to see if there's anything that you may need to adjust on your profile. So two months would be the max before, like say, like, I'm not saying, I don't want to say six months because like, if it's not six months before you're like, oh, then I can't do it. Uh If it's two months before you need to, then you still have time. But six months is a good time where you're in a position where you still hold a lot of power because you're not desperate, you're not rushing, and you're not going to be overwhelmed with the process. You can be prepared. And one thing I would like to add, I'm definitely not an expert, but just from my experience is um, six months. I I think that's a great number to say, but I also will say for the listeners, like it really depends on your unique situation on what the income that you have coming in, what your debts are. You know what I mean? It, 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 It fluctuates. And I also will say like, don't feel stuck. I know for CJ and I, we had re-signed our lease, I believe, in like May, which this is like, I don't remember the timeline exactly, but basically we had a long time left on our lease, uh, our rental lease. And then we had that crazy idea, like, let's start looking for a house. We already had the kind of some of the other stuff in order. You know, we knew that our credit was good. We had been saving and things like that. But we were like, oh, we're stuck in this lease. Do we have to wait till we get out? No, like look at, that's another thing for preparation. Look at your lease. If you, a lot of times there is um, a clause for you to get out and you have to give, I know for us specifically, you had to give our landlord a 30 day notice um, to at least let them know. So we let our, which also was still scary because what if we don't find a house in 30 days? We let him know we were looking for a house and Obviously, we didn't know what was going to happen, but that gave him notice so that he could do what he needed to do, which was go ahead and start showing the property or getting it ready, letting him know I might have to find a new tenant. And it also, you know, a little bit of fire under our butts to like, okay, if we're going to do this, let's do it. And then it was like a seamless transaction. And what we ended up doing was, I think we closed on our house in August, but there was a little bit of things that needed to be done. 
and we didn't have our landlord move out dates of September so that we didn't end up essentially homeless for a month. So, you know, don't feel frozen if you are in a lease or buy things like that. And I would also throw in that if you are thinking about getting a home and maybe you do have some credit issues or maybe you have some debt problems, I do highly recommend get, talking to a financial advisor. I am going to have a financial advisor on the podcast um, in a couple of episodes, but talking to someone, because like Quin Quinice said, you don't have to have um, pay somebody. And that's a misconception with financial advisors. You're not necessarily paying them, but you don't have to have pay somebody to fix your credit. But it is very important for you to have a realistic understanding. Start checking credit karma so you know what your credit is, right? Like Quinn said, pay off some, if you got late cell phone bills or, you know, late stuff that's jacking up your credit, pay that stuff off so that essentially you can do what you said, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Like, pay them try to, <laughs> yeah, like try to get your, um, your credit in order and, and live below your means. That is really the key. A lot of times, a lot of people can afford a house. First of all, owning a home is really cheaper than renting sometimes. Now, yes, homes do have maintenance costs, but I mean, your rent sometimes can be a third or even a half or a third of what your rent, your mortgage, I'm sorry, can be a half or a third of what your rent is, but you, you're keeping on renting because maybe you're afraid or you have minor things that you could maybe go a couple months, keep your head down and not be blowing money on silly stuff, knock out them debts, you know, it's sacrifice. It what, takes some sacrifice. I, really, when when I say stay ready so you don't have to get ready, if you ever have it in your heart, ever cross your mind, even if it's not in the next six months or year or two years that you want to purchase a home, pay your debts. Mm -hmm. If you owe someone, don't let it go to report to your account. Pay on it monthly before it reports. Mm -hmm. you, owe, you go to the hospital, you don't have the money, ask them to get on a payment plan. Mm -hmm. Stay ready. That's what I mean by staying ready is... In the meantime, don't let just don't just throw it away. Mm -hmm. Don't co-sign for nothing. Nothing. Woo! No. If they need you to co-sign, baby, they probably not gonna pay. They not gonna pay. <laughs> they ain't pay. They I'm not sorry. paying. They <laughs> ain't trying to offend, but they need you to co-sign for a reason. <laughs> Do not co-sign for anything. Do not go max out your card. Stop carrying over that balance and paying interest on it. Because if you can Stop pay interest that on balance. that, if you can pay interest on your credit card. Then you can pay the interest on your mortgage. That's okay. okay? You can double it down gonna and pay it off money. sooner. And guess what? Then you got equity. So live within your means is very much so. Quinetta, did you have any other questions? Yeah. So when it comes to just the different loans, like conventional, FHA, USDA, any other type, just a, a small blip on the differences and how to choose the perfect one in your situation. Okay, so I'm a realtor, mm -hmm. and I cannot give financial advice, mm -hmm. but because y'all are my friends, <laughs> <laughs> I will say for every profile, it is different. A lot of people go with um, FHA because it's a low down payment. However, um, conventional also has some low down payment options, mm -hmm. and the awesome thing about FHA is that you could probably possibly call qualify for down payment assistance and even with conventional they have options where your pmi may be lower based on your credit score so there's so and for many those don't know pmi is that's a good thing uh, to talk about too for <laughs> newbies okay pmi is private mortgage insurance and it's something it's it's not an option 
It's not optional unless you're putting more than um, 20% down on that home. And so for FHA, it kind of looks like about 100, maybe more on your mortgage monthly. For conventional, it could be depending on where you're located, but I've seen some of my clients get like there's down to like 30, 35, I think hers was down to $35 a month. Mm -hmm. So it makes a very big difference on which one you go for. However, for conventional loans and FHA loans, um, it will take um, particular credit scores. Mm -hmm. uh, conventional might be a little bit more challenging to qualify for, but the option with FHA is still great opportunity to get in because even if you purchase with FHA, you can still refinance into conventional. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean that you're stuck there with that initial loan that you that you get. For anyone that are in military background, maybe a veteran or married to someone that is active duty, there is a VA loan. That is no down payment. That's none. No down payment. Ooh, thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the misconception is there's still closing costs. There is still costs um, that is applied to that obtaining that type of loan. You also have loan another loan called USDA. The USDA loan is very, very, very great, great, great loan. I love it. I love it because here in North Carolina, we have a lot of communities that are qualified for that. It's on the outskirts of some of the major cities. Um, there is no down payment. What? I don't know anything about a USDA. Can you just real quick, what is it? So a USDA, a USDA loan, uh, qualifying locations would be for uh, areas that have like a low population. Okay. Rural areas. Yeah, rural areas. And, okay. Uh, it's, it's cool because you get all of the perks of purchasing a home with no debt. So it's kind of very similar to like FHA. Because you don't have wow. a down payment just because yours is better than FHA. Is, is out in the middle of nowhere, maybe. Yeah. But not in the middle of nowhere. But some of them are just in smaller towns. Mm -hmm. It just might not be slam pack in the middle of uh, Charlotte or Raleigh, mm -hmm. but go out a little bit. Could be 20 minutes away. 20 wow. minutes away. Or, yes. Exactly. That's an awesome. I, I've never heard of that. So yeah. I'm it's, like, it's a very great option. It does take a little bit longer to uh, close. There is a uh, credit score requirement. And all of those questions will need to be um, discussed with the lender. Discussed with the lender. Every lender, um, they have different terms and what they are able to do with different kind of loans. One thing, since we're on this subject, because I'm an investor-friendly realtor, I love and love, love talking about investment opportunities for anyone that thinks that uh, they may not be able to. FHA does have a loan that is for investors. And so you could be a first-time home buyer and use FHA loan for, it's called an FHA 203K loan. That means you could purchase a home and finance the repairs into the home. You could turn into an investor on your first. Okay. Because that was not something I knew about. So my final question for you is, could you tell a little bit about, because I know I was blindsided, and this was something that like if your papa or your grandma or your mom and dad bought a home, Due diligence and artists in North Carolina. Could you talk about the difference? So due diligence is, for North Carolina, is our standard. Um, we offer due diligence money. It's a down payment kind of sorta, or it's a way to persuade a homeowner to take their home off of the market to give you the opportunity to do your due diligence on that home. So let's flip it. Imagine if you're selling your home 
and you have the opportunity to have multiple offers or, you know, keep your home on the market to see what comes up. If you accept that offer, you're not negotiating with anyone further. So to make it sound good for you, we want to see what are you willing to give me to negotiate this offer? Mm -hmm. So that due diligence also has a time period. So you have your due diligence fee and -hmm. then you have your due diligence period. And really quick, what is due diligence? Due diligence is amount of money that you're offering to the seller to inspect them. Well, you said like to do due diligence on the home. Can you just explain for some people? Your due diligence would be to inspect the home. Okay. Or you like, so there's all kind of inspections that you can do during that time. You can come by. So say if you live in a different state and you haven't even had the opportunity to come view the home. Um, you can come view the home, do your own inspection, hire a home inspector, uh, a, a standard home inspector. They they inspect the whole entire property. Mm-hmm. Then you could also get an inspector for the heating AC unit, the mm-hmm. chimney, the roof, um, the plumbing, exactly, really everything. For everything. The typical due diligence period lasts about two weeks. I will say in that period, you could also shorten it mm-hmm. for like if it's a newer home and you may not feel like you need that long of a period. That does make an offer look more appealing to someone. Um, but I, I honestly do not think that you should ever waive an inspection. Mm. I think everybody, every home, even a new construction home deserves a home inspection. And even with certain loans, don't you have to have an inspection? You couldn't even opt out if you want it? That's a question for a lender. (laughs) (laughs) That is a question for a lender. However, so there's two different things. You have home inspections and you have appraisals. Mm -hmm. You have appraisal required repairs and the home inspection, that's for your purposes only. Mm -hmm. So you have the opportunity to inspect this home to see what is wrong in this condition right now. And that home inspector may make some suggestions. It's their job to point out everything. So it's not supposed to have like cosmetic stuff on there. Some may put like peeling paint or something like that, but uh, you'll see a lot of details about what the electrical and plumbing looks like, maybe the conditions of the crawl space or the roof, the siding, the fascia boards, uh, the crawl space, um, different items like that. Now, the home inspector is not a general contractor. They're giving their professional opinion and uh, what the code of standards are. Now, the appraisal repairs are required for your lender to finance that home. And for the VA and FHA loans, they're a little bit more strict. Um, For example, um, the auto reverse on the garage, Mm -hmm. mandatory. Um, The anti-tipping bucket on the stove. It's very simple, really super easy fix, but mandatory. Um, And then like can't have any rotted wood or uh, the home just doesn't, not to be in despair because those are government backed loans Mm -hmm. And it's they ain't trying to get screwed out their money. Exactly. There is one thing that maybe we're gonna get to that I think is super, super, super important to know about due diligence and escrow. Um, that money, if you decide during that due diligence period, you find something like, oh my gosh, I gotta repipe this whole house, it's gonna be fourteen thousand dollars. I'm about to walk away. You can walk away, you can get out the contract, but you ain't getting that money back. Your due diligence fee is non-refundable in the event that you want to walk away from the transaction. However, it's non-refundable if you want to walk away from the transaction, 
But if you continue forward in the transaction, it is credit to you back at closing. So that money, does, it's not like a deposit that goes into thin air and you never see it again. Right. If you're purchasing a home for $300,000 and your due diligence money is $3,000, then you're going to be credited that back at closing. So you'll see that on your closing disclosure. Mm -hmm. That this is this was what your earnest or your due diligence was. Your earnest money goes directly to the escrow agent, mm -hmm. and your due diligence money goes directly to the seller. Right. Again, that due diligence money is not as soon as you sign that check over, it is due. Another thing, let's Same let me get a little bit. I will tell you this: as soon as you make an offer to purchase, and your personal. offer is accepted in writing, they have conveyed that your offer is accepted. If you change your mind 30 seconds later after they accept your offer, you are still going to have to pay that money <laughs> bound to pay that due diligence fee that you have offered. Now, some may release you from that duty, but some may sue for it, mm. but it is still due. I will say one other way to get out of this is a material fact. Now, if there's a material fact about the home that they did not disclose mm. and then they were aware about it, then you do not forfeit your earnest money or due diligence money. But it is non-refundable as soon as you sign over that check and give to the seller. You may go into contract on Tuesday. With Thursday, another home came on the market and you want that one. Is it fair to that seller after they accept your offer, took their home off the market, stopped marketing it, thinking they're going to move forward with you um, to just give you back that money that you said that you were serious about purchasing this is home just so you can go buy somebody else's home. No, not there. Yeah. Um, that was great. Any last questions? No, I think that's really great. I think those are some really great places to start as a, a newbie. Knowing don't wait, you know, six months is a good start. Knowing there's different types, knowing there is different things that you talk to your realtor and your lender about, I think are all very great starting points that, I mean, you know, if you don't know what you don't know. I will say, because I, um, I did express how important the due diligence is and that it is credit to you back at closing. Your earnest money is well credit to you back at closing too. Both of those are going to be due upon your initial offer to purchase. So if they accept your offer, it's due. If you submit an offer, you don't have to give anything until they accept your offer. They don't accept it. You don't owe them anything. Mm. And I know I'm all out of questions, but talking about closing, I know that was something that was a mystery, these closing calls. So oh. will you share a little bit about closing, that? Closing costs will vary per transaction. One of the many, many reasons why closing costs, you'll see your friend bought a house and her closing costs may be different than yours is because of where she's buying. Mm. Property taxes, um, the lender that they're using, and the expenses that they are charging to the buyer. So all of those factor into your closing costs. I think it's important for people to know as well, for those of you who might not have been through the process, your lender will, you're not going to be like, you should not get to the closing table and be like, oh my God, I didn't know I owed you $10,000 or however much. There is no reason that should happen. You should be getting disclosure for every time you update information and you're going through underwriting, which is the process when they're crossing their T's and dotting their I's to make sure they're not about to get frauded out of their money. <laughs> every time that's happening, they're going to send you a form of like, this is the most updated cost. This is what we expect you to pay. This is the most updated cost. This is what we expect you to pay. And then on that closing day, or maybe the night before, you will get your final cost. 
And on that note, it's a wrap, folks. Thank you so much, Quinetta. Thank you so much, Quinise. This has been great. And thanks for listening.